my name is Kristen Casey, and I have a book, an addiction memoir, out called Rock Monster, My Life with Joe Walsh. Hi, Casey. My name is Gretchen Bonarducci, and I have a book coming out uh, in August called Surviving Agent Orange and Other Things I Learned from Being Thrown Under the Partridge Family Bus. Hi, Gretchen. It is so great to talk to you, and I'm very excited about your book. I love your title. Thank you. Uh, it, it was. Uh, it took me a long time to figure out something that I thought uh, would catch people's attention, and also I also in the title wanted people to understand that it's a funny book. You know, like I wasn't trying to write a mean book. When people ask me, "Oh, are you writing a tell-all?" I'm like, "No, that just sounds mean." You know. <laughs> So I wanted to make sure that people understood in the title, it's a funny book, uh, and it just is a memoir about my entire life. But, you know, I was married to Danny for 18 years, and that was a lot of my adult, my adulthood. So there are quite a few stories from that time period, for sure. I can't wait to hear them, because um, I remember the first time I heard about you and I saw the show. I watched I, probably all of those episodes. I was fascinated. Um, I'm trying to think of the name of the show. Uh, Breaking Bonaduce. Breaking Bonaduce, yes. And I, um, how long ago was that? Was that in the 90s? Uh, no, it was 2005 and 2006. Right. So just okay. a little over 10 years ago. And you know what, Casey? I am so proud of that show. There was not a show on TV that was honest like our show. That, I was gonna say that actually. And I I like reality TV. I, you know, some of it is uh, great and some of it is terrible. But your show stuck out to me. First, I don't know how many reality shows came before it, but you guys seemed very authentic. And that's something that you don't normally see. Like, it's very hard, I think, to have a camera on you and, and be an, just respond authentically and be, a, I mean, I certainly couldn't do it. I would just, freeze up and I'd be very aware of everything I was saying or doing, but you guys, you could, first of all, you could see the love. Um, you were, um, you were fun to watch. You guys were funny. It was, I mean, you were just fascinating and, and there was a real journey going on there between you two. You know, I mean, there were, there was a lot of emotions you guys were trying to work out and, and Danny, right. especially, I mean, it, it got to a point where, I mean, I just adored you immediately. And I, a lot, so much of what you were going through kind of resonated for me. And I don't remember a lot of it, but I remember some of the heated arguments, but also just the love and affection and the humor. And I loved that show. Yeah, it was great. So I was delighted to hear that you had this book. And then when I heard the title, of course, I immediately laughed out loud. I didn't know a lot about what happened to you guys after that. So I didn't know if it was, I didn't know you had been together for 18 years, whether it was a good mm -hmm. marriage or, or if it became abusive. I, I really knew nothing about that. And, um, but I'm glad to hear that the book is also just more about you and your whole life and, and, and a more layered. Yeah. Um, it kind of covers everything. No, we were so lucky uh, at the time period when we approached VH1 about doing a TV show the Osbournes had been on and it was just smashed, you know, for MTV. And then uh, Nick and Jessica. So everybody was looking for a family TV show. And um, originally the concept that we tried to sell them was called Rock and Roll Dinner Party. And it was a dinner party at our house. And rock stars would come and it was a potluck. And that was the pilot we shot. That was just a show we were trying to sell to VH1. And uh, they came back to us and they said, you know what? Um, 
we really don't like the concept, but we love you too. So we want to do a show with you guys. And that's kind of how it all unfolded, the, the TV show with, with Danny and I. We were always going to be doing therapy because around the time, like not, not too far before the show started, I had found out that Danny had had an affair. And I wanted that to be a subject on the show because I felt like it was important for people to see uh, just what, what happens when you have an affair, you know, the damage that happens to the family. And so I didn't really want to deal with it until the cameras were rolling because I didn't want to recreate anything. Like we really did not talk about it till we were shooting because I wanted it to be authentic. You know, I didn't want to go, Oh, remember when we talked about that and you were really mad. And then, so you say that, then I'm going to say, you know, like, I didn't want any of that. I wanted it to be exactly as it was unfolding. Yeah, that really came across. In fact, I mean, I didn't know any of that backstory, um, but A, I can definitely see how the uh, producers would be watching you guys on screen and just thinking we don't need this dinner party. The, you know, the real meat of the story is this couple, because that's really, I mean, that's how um, you guys just had so much energy that came across between the two of you. And it was, it just really worked as a reality show. And I, um, I've, I've seen those, those sort of other shows where something has happened off screen and it's been dealt with and then it just ends up getting discussed and that's not, yeah. it's not powerful. And the thing about relationships, you know, they're the most complicated things in the world. I mean, I guess, um, aside from parenting and I'm not a parent, so I can't speak to that. I, I was a daughter and I can definitely speak to that. And I do in my book, but you know, I think the conversation around, um, cheating and monogamy and, and commitment and all of that, it's, it's ongoing and there's not, we just need to keep it going and we need to open it up. And so when somebody can be very self-aware and very honest and really open, um, because a lot of people can't be, um, it's just, it's helpful. It serves the world. You know, this is the kind of stuff that, that people eat up through. Yeah. And it was funny because, um, I think a lot of it was split between sexes. A lot of people, men, you know, we're on Danny's side if there were sides and the women would side with me. So it was just interesting, you know, a total study in how people relate. And, uh, and I think you and I had so much in common with the fact that when you date a famous person, they are just surrounded by so much temptation 24 seven, you know, with women, with drugs, with alcohol, with everything. And when you're trying to deal with that, um, it becomes difficult. I know in your story, I've been reading, which I love your book, by the way. I'm, I, I can't, I, I want to just sit here and read it, but I have a kid. I got to get him to school and I really just want to read it. It's so interesting. But I think you and I dealt with a lot of the same issues, although I didn't have any real addiction problems, which I think would have killed Danny and I both if both of us were that much of a train wreck, you know? Oh God. Yeah. I mean, um, because you guys were very, like, very, I remember Danny, there were times where I would be watching Danny get angry. And um, those were the, actually the parts that stuck out to me, because that's, that was scary to me. Um, but uh, I think that stuck out to everyone. I mean, if you ask anyone about that show, the there's two scenes that they remember the most, and both of them were with Danny and his angry outbursts. One was when he was sitting in front of a liquor store. 
and drank like a, a put like a bottle of vodka into like a iced tea or something and down the whole thing. And then the other scene was when he got really mad that my girlfriends had thrown me a party and there were supposed to be strippers. And uh, he was demanding that the crew take him to the W Hotel and, uh, you know, was screaming, if anyone is in that room that has less than a turtleneck on, I'm going to shake their foundation. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that's the one that I remember. I think I vaguely remember the one with the with the vodka, but I definitely remember. And I was just I, I wanted to jump through the screen and just like throw myself, you know, in front of him. And put, it was it was ridiculous. I mean, I could. But that scene. I, how many times is that probably played out in other couples, you know, that so many times. And I think that's why people related so much to it. I got so much mail from women. And especially after I left Danny in particular, they were like, wow, you left him at the top of his game. And I was so scared to go and you've given me the courage to do it. And how, oh. how huge is that, that people in bad situations became strong enough to go because they saw me do it. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, I think, probably the driving force behind it's certainly my memoir. Um, just, I, I think I'm a writer and a storyteller and I'm, I, but I think that, so I have that, that inclination, you know, to, to just be telling my stories, but I think that that's how, people take in information sometimes the best way, you know, just by hearing someone else's story or seeing someone else's story and then what, where it resonates for them in their own life. It's very inspiring. I mean, we need role models and we also need to see people who are making all the mistakes that we've made and that they, they found a way out, you know, or they found, they found their empowerment. You know, my story is one of dependency from dependency to empowerment and it's not a pretty story, you know, and it gets very dark um, but I had to, and I had to dig my way out and, um, uh, I didn't really have the exact same, I, I didn't find the strength in my relationship to, to leave when he was at his peak. I mean, we both, well, I take that back. He, he started peaking again when he got back with the Eagles. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would have liked to stay in the relationship at that time. Uh, but that was not to be. And so I spiraled and then I, I, I really hit a low bottom, but regardless of how you, you rebound and it sounds like you did it, you found your empowerment while you're in the relationship. I mean, it's, there are people out there who are going to be inspired and it's going to give them the strength, I think, and the inspiration to, mm -hmm. to do that in their own lives. And, you know, at least that's what I was hoping to with my book, but that thing right. you said about, you know, like in, it's that with the famous person, with the rock star, you know, or with, and I think there's something about DJs, correct me if I'm wrong, but that, you know, when you sit in a room with a mic and you can just talk freely and never be interrupted or there's, I, there's a sense of entitlement or something that comes with Oh my with gosh, so narcissistic. You know, yeah. I am not joking. I think DJs for the most part can be some of the lowest common denominator of human beings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I've kind of noticed that. And I don't mean to be disparaging because they're, you know, they're, there's a million of them and there's some of them are incredibly lovely people, but you of definitely course. get in that habit of everyone listening to you and you maybe not necessarily having to listen to other people quite as much. Yeah. Well, I yeah. think they're trying to do their job, which is to entertain. And if that comes at your expense, so be it, you know, but uh, uh, like we did Howard Stern, Danny and I, 
And he could not have been more lovely to me, but it was because I was playing along, you know, whatever he said, I just went with it, you know, and I think that when you keep a sense of humor about things, people will be a lot easier on you than, you know, if you're on your high horse and, you know, like when people go, oh, well, you're obviously, uh, oh God, what's the term everybody likes to say, uh, an, an abler. I'm like, clearly, yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, like, I just don't, um, you know, I grew up in a really religious household. My parents were Southern Baptists. That's the way I grew up. Um, and you are so conditioned to stay in your marriage and forgive, forgive, forgive. It almost victimizes you a little bit because you, that's just the way you think you know, like, oh, they made a mistake and they said they're sorry. So, okay. You know, and it just becomes this cycle where you accept a lot of things that you shouldn't because that's the way you've been brought up. Yeah. I actually touch on that in my book too, because I was raised in a strict Catholic family and and like many religions, I just found that whole perspective to be very disempowering that it, you know, to me, I never really understood. It sort of removes you from the need for critical thinking. And so, uh, and that, I guess, is a safe space for a lot of people. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I just, I... Well, for me personally, I was getting so much positive reinforcement with, oh, you're a saint. Oh, you're a saint. I can't believe the things you stayed through that, you know, it, that was kind of um, not good for me, you know, because I was getting this positive reinforcement for something that wasn't necessarily the best thing for me as a person. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes it makes perfect sense. And I think it's something that women fall into, you know, this this identity, identifying as the nurturer and the, you know, we're um, it, our role is to be doing the emotional labor for our partner and tolerating things. And I mean, sometimes you read about, uh, maybe in an obituary or something, uh, they'll they'll talk about a woman and they'll praise her in this way, like she was always there for others. She was so selfless, blah blah blah, and it, and it makes her come across because that's the role traditionally given to women to women. And um, I don't think it serves us. And I think that um, I don't think that that's really the highest expression of of. Uh, being a human being or being a woman. I mean, I, it's a hard mix. It really is because I want to be compassionate. I want to uh, be a person that uh, wants to take on people's problems and try to help and be there for them. But there is a point where you have to finally just go, "Uh -uh, I just can't like, this is too much. And, and, you know, that took me a long time in my marriage to do that. Um, And I mean, you, you and Joe were together for how long? We were together for six years over a seven-year period from 88 to uh, to 95 was when we broke up the second and final time. And are you still friends? Do you guys have any kind of relationship or not really? Well, we did. Um, we stayed friends. Um, like he got sober in 94. And so we got back together actually the day before he got sober, the day before um, he went to rehab, the night before. And that story is actually in the book. So, um, and then the Hell Freezes Over tour, the Eagles reunion started right after that. So what was happening was um, once he got out of rehab and started back with the band, 
um, we were back together, but we just slowly drifted apart because I was still drinking and he was sober and all, for obvious mm -hmm. reasons, that's not really going to last too long. Yeah. Uh, uh, but what was your question about? Uh, I just was wondering if you guys are uh, oh, on friendly terms or. Yeah. So um, once we broke up for good the following year in 95, we didn't talk very much for the next couple of years because I was spiraling so badly. And then um, shortly after I got sober, we, we talked. And then for the next 20 years, every two or three years, we would talk or see each other. He would come through Texas and play a gig and, and call me or I'd go meet him in like in Dallas or San Antonio, wherever he was playing and spend the weekend. Um, or we might go two or three years without talking at all. And then the last time I heard from him was in 2011. He was in town and he had recently gotten married. And so um, we had sent some emails and we had we had talked on the phone a couple times around then. But then I think in 2011 or 12, my e I sent a couple emails that went unanswered and um, I reached out to him again when I first started writing the book. In fact, I, I used all the numbers and emails I had, but I never heard back. So it's been six or seven years since we've spoken. You know, I mean, we had a lot of love for each other. Um, and uh, well, I think when someone gets married too, yeah. it just oh, that, becomes yeah. really difficult to maintain a, a friendship because I, I just, and especially, I mean, come on, he's a rock star. And same with Danny, they're famous and they have just constant temptation. So when a new wife comes in, she doesn't want any of the old temptations to possibly be around, I guess. Yeah. And I, I mean, honestly, that makes sense to me. I mean, I, I don't know her at all, um, but I just feel like if I was married and my ex had a friendship with his not unattractive single ex, I probably would prefer he not call her as well. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I am on the same page. I think she's <laughs> doing the right thing if she puts up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, well, I got, Danny got married really uh, well. He he met the girl he's married to now. He claims the day that I said I was divorcing him. I'm not sure that's true, but yeah. it doesn't matter to me. Like I don't care. It doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. You know, he's remarried, and so when people ask, "Well, you know, are you guys friends?" We talk about the kids. But other than that, I really don't have anything to talk to him about. You know, he's married now and has a wife and there really isn't a place for me in that, nor do I want to be in that anyway. Oh yeah, I know. Like I've, you know, I've completely moved on. I mean, apparently you have kids with him. You have um, more than one. Yeah, we have two. Uh -huh. um, my daughter is 23 and she's getting married this year. So. Oh, wow. Uh, awesome. That should be interesting. My book comes out in August and she gets married in October. So not sure how that's going to go. Oh my uh, God. You're going to be busy. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. We're already doing the fittings and, uh, and then we also have a son and he is 17. So he has one more year of high school and our kids are just wonderful human beings. And I feel so blessed that I'm contributing to amazing people in the universe. And, you know, how can I ever regret that? Oh yeah, no, of course you couldn't. I, I mean, that's amazing. I can't, I've never wanted to be a mother, but I, um, anyone who had, I mean, I have so much, it is the hardest job in the world. It's gotta it be is. the hardest job in the world, you know, and I. Followed by being married to Danny Bonaduce. <laughs> <laughs> mother, marry Danny. You got a cover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you are right about being a mother. It is incredibly difficult and it's even more difficult when you become a single mother. 
you know, the one thing about Danny that has been super wonderful about him is he was always very financially responsible. Like my check was there every month so I could take care of my children. And, um, you know, that's pretty big because I know a lot of my friends who have lost their houses were barely able to take care of their children because the men wouldn't help, you know, pay the child support. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the truth is Danny always seemed like a really good guy. Like, I mean, I think that came across really clearly, like he had a good heart, you know, he had he a does. But that he had a really good heart. So I'm not surprised to hear that at all. I do think that there are so many people right now who aren't even able to get divorced because they can't afford it. They can't afford. So many. I yeah. hear it all the time. Like just talking to other women, they're like, I'm here because I'm stuck. You know, I have no, or I haven't been in the workforce for 10, 20 years. Mm -hmm. I can't take care of myself. I can't take care of the children. So they end up staying. And I was very blessed that I did not have that. And, you know, Danny was really great about that. I will say, I think he has one of the biggest hearts I've ever seen. He is very generous to his family, to people in trouble. So, so yeah, on that level, he is a really good guy. He, he really is. That's great. Yeah, that wasn't my experience at all when I left <laughs> the, um And it's funny, too, and I mentioned this story in the book. I, I... I was not someone who ever um, thought about, uh, you know, we weren't we weren't married. We lived together for three years, and we were together for six. But um, and I quit work in order to be able to travel with him. Um, and I think that in California there were probably laws that would have. Um, given I have a question: Is travel code for babysit? <laughs> what? Oh, it was tra traveling with him code? code for babysitting him yes <laughs> I, you know i think there are a lot of people who really in his life um and his work like his managers and his bandmates who would have loved if i'd have been a better babysitter but frankly i really wasn't like in the very beginning i i didn't do cocaine for just the first few months we were together i um, mean i was probably a good influence on him but as soon as i started doing coke like i surpassed his use within wow. well yeah, as soon as I moved in with him, as soon as I quit work and left Austin and moved in with him, and it was there all the time, his biggest fear, because he, he knew this was going to happen, it had happened before, um, was that I was, you know, I was just going to completely lose control, and I did. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, it was, neither of us were, we were just spurring each other on, and um, any good influence that I had been for whatever amount of time was completely out the window. And yeah, we it were became a competition of who's going to be more yeah. screwed up. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably a lot of the reason why Danny and I made it as long as we did is because I've never struggled with that. Um, you know, I've never really done drugs, uh, not really a big drinker. Now I drink a lot of wine. <laughs> <But> <laughs> You've earned it. You've earned it. Yes, I have earned it. But I think that I jumped into his end of the pool, uh, you know, with the drugs and the alcohol uh, it would not have worked as long as it did, but I, I'm pretty, it seems like I might not be that lucid under the circumstances of how we got married, but actually I'm pretty responsible. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The story of how you got married, this is what I never forgot this. Now tell me if I have this right, or maybe I should ask you to tell it, but the morning after when he asks you that question and you came back with that really hilarious remark, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. I do. I, 
tell me that story because I never forgot it. I died laughing when I heard it. And that's when I thought to myself, I like this girl. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I have to give him a lot of credit because really at the time I had just moved back to Phoenix, Arizona. I didn't know what the heck I was doing there. You know, I was just staying with my mom and dad and that got, you know, my religious parents too much. So I was couch surfing and I'm like, God, what am I doing here? Like, I don't understand what is happening in my life. And uh, we both were just two really lost people. He had just met a rehab. Um, I had moved back to Phoenix, really had no plan. When he asked if I wanted to get married, uh, it seemed like as good of a plan as anything else. So I'm like, sure, why not? <laughs> so we did get married really quickly. We, the story the star ran said, Danny Bonaducci marries blonde after eight hour courtship, I think was the headline. Yeah. Um, and it was more hours than that, but not by much. Um, and, um, you know, I think he was starting to slide back into a drug habit and he was desperate for help. And thank God it was me he married because I know the people before me were getting dragged into his, you know, life of drugs and things. So um, I think he didn't really bargain that I was going to be this roadblock in his uh plan for doing whatever he wanted but i you know he gave me all of his money he didn't even know me so i started investing our money he had nothing we got married he was living paycheck to paycheck i had nothing and then we started just building this incredible life together and i was trying to clean him up i was his manager so my plan in the beginning was to take everything to just keep him out there showing everybody that he's getting better you know, because he was always so smart and so funny. He had so much talent, but he was always shooting himself in the foot, you know, like yeah. doing something bad. So, yeah, he had um, just been arrested in Florida posting, like, uh, you know how on MTV they had the VJs and they would have people step into posts here and yeah. there, like two segments. And uh, he, yeah, was arrested doing the Just Say No to Drugs thing for MTV, <laughs> trying to buy drugs. So he was starting like to be in a really bad place again. And um, so I think that explains why he would marry me because he knew he needed some help. And luckily, as I said, it was me and not some crazy drug addict that he ended up with. No, seriously. And, you know, what's interesting is that I think that was a little bit about um, how Joe and I got together and how, why he was attracted to me specifically was because I was actually, I had just recently gotten my act together. Um, but I was not solid enough in that to not be swayed by his lifestyle. So I just, I want to go back though to, to that story about how you guys ended up getting married. And I think it was Danny, I must've seen this on the show or in an interview with him. Cause if I recall, Somebody was asking him, you know, like how you guys didn't you guys get married really quickly or whatever. And in my mind, you guys had like had known each other very briefly, like one night, had some wild night, lots of drinking and then gotten married, woke up in bed together. And his first thought was, how am I going to get out of this? And jokingly, yes. jokingly, he says <laughs> to you, so what's your name? Like, you know, trying to play off like, well, you know, look what we did. Let's get out. Let's figure our way out of this. He's like, what's your name? And you said, Mrs. Bonaducci, and don't you forget it or something like that? Yes. Yeah. He loves to tell that story. I, um, he but, does it well. Yes, he does. He, it's a very funny story. 
but also I, I wouldn't sleep with him. That And that was also a motivation for him to marry me because I just <laughs> didn't want to have those kinds of relationships. So women, I'm telling you, the things you can do to get a man to marry you, just withhold sex and they will do anything to get you in bed, including marry you. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, that is absolutely not anything like my and Joe's uh, first night together. It was completely the opposite. I was I doing read that story. That is amazing. <laughs> I I was doing everything I could to get him in bed and he was not having it. It was the, to this day the mo one of the most frustrating dates I'd ever had. But at the same time, I was in love with him. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that like when we met, um, I was 20 and he was 40 and he was probably already, you know, he was already on a downswing just both creatively, but but also, and probably because of the drugs and alcohol, because they eventually will take their toll. And even if you control them to some degree, mm -hmm. for, sometimes for decades, you know, you're going to lose control at some point. And so his, uh, his album wasn't doing all that well, but he was, you know, he was just really using a lot. And then, of course, in the years that we were together, that escalated even more. But but when he met and he offered me drugs that first night and I said, oh, no, thanks. I don't do coke. I just I overcame a, a, a brief, brief but powerful meth habit a couple of years ago. And so I don't do hard drugs. And um, and I was back in school. I had just gotten back into I was going to UT and I had dropped out because of the meth. And then I had just started back again at a community college and I was doing well. And I was, you know, um, trying to form an identity because at, when you use drugs, I was an alcoholic in my teens. And even though I did well in high school, I, um, uh, I had a drinking problem from like age 16 on. And so, you know, you sort of, your, your growth, your emotional growth, your maturity, that sort of just stops, you know, I was a little stagnant. So, mm -hmm. so at the time I met Joe, I was 20. And in some ways I was, I guess, kind of worldly, but in other ways, I still had a lot of growing up to do. I didn't, I was still figuring out who I was, right? I kind of knew who I was, but I was just stepping into it and owning it because again, like the, the way I grew up, um, you know, my mother was a child of the fifties and she was, you know, she was very Catholic and she was a conformist and I was very quirky and rebellious and outspoken. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, you know, she was very conservative and I was very liberal. And so I was constantly fighting to be myself just to, just to be accepted. Like, you don't even have to like me, but just accept me for who I am, which is not, I'm not anything like you. I wasn't like my mother at all. And, and I, what that wasn't really accepted, you know? And so I, I was really struggling just to, um, believe it was okay to be myself, to be authentic, to, to be sexual. You know, that was a big thing for me. I was, I was be, being a stripper was, was my way of saying, um, I'm going to celebrate my sexuality. I'm not going to feel ashamed about it. You know, I, and so when I met Joe, um, I was just kind of starting to believe in myself and embrace my sexuality and um, and my uh, my intellect and my creative pursuits. You know, I was in school to be a screenwriter, um, right. and uh, and very quickly his not only was he. I mean, I just fell madly in love that night, not even really knowing who he was, just some musician who had some level of fame in the '70s. That's kind of what I thought, mm -hmm. um, but just traveling with him and not being able to go to school for, I mean, for what? Yeah. Well, I remember the story interesting uh, when to... you're talking about him um, coming to see you dance one night 
and how he didn't like react and how you were crushed because it's kind of what you thought you were great at and you thought he would respond in some way. Yeah, and you know, that's the other thing. I think that Joe, Joe likes strong women. So he was attracted to me because I think partly he had seen, I was telling him I had overcome a meth habit. So he thought to himself, this is a girl who can handle my crazy lifestyle and maybe not get addicted, you know, like, like past girlfriends have. But then I very quickly did. And, but part of that, part of this thing about my independence and my, um, my autonomy and my, my self-expression as a, as just an authentic person as being Kristen, um, was that I was openly sexual and I, I did not have any shame about that. And I enjoyed stripping and it was a big part of my identity. And, um, and I think that he was felt he jealous. Little, about I, that? I think that Joe always felt a little, I think a lot of men in general, I mean, not just Joe, they are attracted to women who own their sexuality, but they're also a little threatened by it because, um, for men, you know, being the, uh, um, being a satisfying partner is a big part of their identity, you know, being the stud. And so when they, when you partner with someone who's half your age, who's very sexual, um, you're sort of, I think that men put a lot of, um, expectations on themselves to always be enough to always be, um, as much of a partner as I need sexually. And that can just feel intimidating. So I think that, you know, I think that that was part of why it was uncomfortable for him to see me stripping. But I didn't understand that at the time. I just thought, well, he must not think I'm a very good dancer. Don't all rock stars want to have a hot stripper in their life? Well, the truth I is think pretty much they do. <laughs> yeah, I think he would have appreciated it if I just kept it between us. Maybe. I don't know. I, he, I don't think he really knew what to do with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, with that invite. I mean, he wasn't someone who hung out a lot at strip clubs. He did eventually because um, Sean Penn was always taking him to that one in L.A. Um, yeah, but I would never let Danny go ever. Uh -uh. If he ever went, it was I didn't know about it because I just felt like, um, yeah, that is like throwing a bone to hungry dogs. You know, here comes a famous guy and all these strippers are going to just point to you know, want to be around him. And I was like, you, I, I just don't want that. I don't want you to be seen in those places. It would embarrass me. Um, I just feel like, especially when you're a sex addict, putting yourself in that position is just not a smart thing to do. And especially when you're married. I mean, that's just the way I think. I don't know. You, you oh, no, I, than I do. Well, I know I definitely, there's a million reasons that guys go to strip clubs. And if you have a, a like a, a sex addiction or a um, that term itself is, is, um, I don't always like to use that, but yeah, if you have a compulsion or obsession with sex and you're married and you're, and you're a celebrity, all three of those things combined probably make it a really bad idea for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so happy you agree with me, Casey. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to explain that to him many, many times and he didn't believe me. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I was stripping and I did it for 14 years total, I did it for five years in my teens and twenties and then five years in my late twenties and early thirties. And then I did it again for four years in my late thirties, early forties. And so I did it in all different economies. I did it in different states, different clubs, in different ages. So I've really experienced stripping from every, pretty much every angle. Mm -hmm. And I think that there can be such comfort and beauty in the work and the experience as a customer 
if you're going for the right reasons and with um, with your eyes open. And there are a lot of people in this world who are just very lonely and maybe they're very awkward and very shy and maybe they are just unable to connect with with women or their or um, and you know intimacy makes life worth living. And I'm not saying that um, there's some kind of deep fulfilling genuine intimacy in any strip club you go into but to live without any um uh uh without being in touch with that side of life without being able to see um a graceful naked woman you know um moving to the music without being able to to connect with with a woman without being um able to surround yourself in sexuality in a place where it's celebrated and not condemned or disparaged or you're made to feel ashamed just for having desires, um, it can be very comforting and nurturing and it can be a lot of fun. You know, so many of my customers were just very um, lonely men or frustrated men, single men, you know, and some who were married who were just cut off from that. And, and you know, I'm the first to say that a lot of them needed to open up channels of communication with their wife, you know, mm-hmm. but there were others who just needed to be able to go somewhere and enjoy femininity and sexuality and sensuality. And, and, and there's not a lot of places where that's really accepted in this country. Mm. I think it's changing. I mean, I, I hear my friends uh, sometimes saying that they go with their husbands or their boyfriends. So I think that's opened up a bit, but uh, yeah, I, I just, I mean, I'm coming from a place where I've only been in them twice and both times against my will once because I was sitting in a really bad part of town. I could either go in or sit in the car. And another time was, um, I forgot the circumstance. Oh, I'm sure it was with Danny and I didn't want him in there without me. So, so, you know, you have much better perspective than I do, but I just, uh, yeah, I'm not for me. It's just not for me. You know who I don't, I'm not the like police of what people should do. And if people are fine with it and they do it, that's fine. That works for them, but uh, definitely not for me. Yeah. And that's that thing about relationships. Like everybody has to find the type of relationship that works for them. And you, and you, and you have to be on the same page with your partner, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think honesty is the big thing. Like people that are having an affair, people that are sneaking into, you know, those clubs and not telling their wives. That's, I think the core of what bothers me is just dishonesty, you know, like just be truthful. That's, that's all is required. And I'm just the kind of person, um, you know, I've never been with a woman. I've never kissed a woman. I've never had a threesome. You know, I'm just very, I'm sure it's my upbringing, you know, where I just like to be with one person. I'm not a person that can be with multiple people. I, that's just not what I, who I want to be, you know, but if someone else wants to, that's, that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's something called, you know, ethical, um, uh, consensual non-monogamy. It's just that so many couples right now in the world are having um, secret non-monogamy or, or, yeah. or, or non-consensual non-monogamy. Like, yeah, exactly. Leaves yeah. they're in a non-monogamous relationship and the other person has no idea. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with, like, with Joe and I, it's again, like I'm a pretty open-minded person and there's, I, you know, I can conceivably be in a, um, a committed relationship and have our own version of monogamy, whatever we have discussed and agree upon that works for us. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm open to that. I'm single at the moment, but I, I'm the kind of person where I 
conceivably that might work for me someday. But when I was with Joe, um, I was under the impression that we were going to be having a monogamous relationship. And I, I was looking forward to that. I hadn't had any, I hadn't had one other than very briefly in high school. And our biggest problem though, is that we, we weren't really able to communicate. So I had a lot of sexual frustration and, um, and he had his own needs that he wasn't really able to talk to me about. So, and of course he was a rock star. So he had all kinds of opportunities to, mm-hmm. to, um, do whatever he wanted. And I was, meanwhile, I was being very well behaved in that regard. And, um, as soon as I found out that he cheated a couple, two, three times, I continued to try to be faithful, but after a while, instead of talking about it, I thought, you know, I grabbed an opportunity that came my way without really thinking. And and then the next thing you know, we were both having affairs. But to this day, that is the least hurtful part of any of it for me. I mean, I just, I think that that was, for, for he and I, we were just doing the best we could. We didn't have communication skills. And, um, and, and we neither one of us, I think, were falling in love with the with the people we were having affairs with. You know, it was we really did love each other, and we were trying to make it work, and we were failing in a lot of ways. But I don't like I didn't at the time. You know, sometimes I dwell on it, and I would feel really hurt. Um, but for the most part, that was just a symptom of our deeper dysfunction, which was that we just did not communicate. You know, mm-hmm. we just didn't. And um, you know, whatever problems you have they're not going to get solved if you don't communicate. And you guys seem to communicate. Like that's what I remember from the show is you seem to be able to, um, I mean, that's probably why you stayed made it for 18 years, you know, on I mean, some level, but there was a lot of dishonesty. I mean, he openly admits to, uh, cheating on me 12 times, which oh, I, that's a lot. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? That's probably half the number. That's probably what he's uh, open to admitting <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah. So, uh, so I mean, yeah, we, we did, you know, we went to a lot of counseling and, but I think when you're dealing with somebody that is just so screwed up and I feel to me, like I could have had sex with you 10 times a day and it wouldn't have mattered. Like anytime you could have gotten away with it, you would have anyway. And Yeah. yeah. And then it kind of shut me down because even though I could approve it, that's the great thing about now texting and computers, that's when I finally could catch him, you know, because before it was a lot of gaslighting me where I go, you know, what? I think something's happening here. And uh, he would be like, no, oh, my God, you're crazy. I would never treat, you know, and I would go, oh, am I crazy? You know, so Yeah. Yeah, you t- that gaslighting thing really works. And I didn't have computers or texting or any of that stuff. And I was a good detective. And what's so funny is one of the ways I found out about him cheating with um, with Miss New York was completely by accident. I'm sitting in front of the TV and I keep thinking something's going on. He was with someone in New York last week, but I couldn't figure out who. I had no idea, but I knew. It was the first time I really knew, other than... He had told me about a couple of them, but then this one I found out on my own and I didn't know anything other than he'd been with someone. And then I'm watching TV and I see a clip of him getting out of a limo with Miss New York and the date is, you know, flashing. I was like on an entertainment tonight or something. So I didn't have any texting or, um, you know, the, the emails to check, but thankfully, um, I had tabloid television and, uh, (laughs) that's the one great thing about it. It helps us catch people. 
But yeah, I mean, I just got really sneaky. I would figure out his passwords, go into his phone or his email, and then I would uh, pretend to be him. So they would, you know, I'd be texting like I was him. Oh, you're yeah. devious. Oh, I'm so devious. So devious. <laughs> Here, here's how devious I am. Uh, the one affair that I know that he had, he, I know he had one for sure. Um, uh, when I found out, I went into his phone and found her phone number and I changed the number to Gloria Allred's office. So every time he tried to call her, it was called <laughs> Gloria Allred's office. Just going, you better know what you're risking here, dude. <laughs> oh my god that's brilliant that's hilarious yeah no because I wasn't when I found out about her this was the one thing that I was sure of I will stay in here as long as I have to to make sure she goes away she is not going to be stepmother to my children <laughs> <laughs> um so Gretchen I'm super excited about your book I want to read everything about you and Danny, but also I want to hear more about your life and especially your childhood. I think you said that you talk about that and like your religious upbringing. Is yeah, that right? I talk about all of that in my book and I am currently reading your book, Casey. It's so fascinating. I, I can't even put it down. This is the one time I've hated being a mother because I have to feed my kid and get them to school. <laughs> all I want to do is read your book. <laughs> that is the highest compliment. Thank you so much. And I know that um, like addiction isn't your thing, but I've got those two threads going in there. It's really, to me, it's about dependency and dependency can come out um, when it comes to substances and drugs and alcohol, but my dependency manifested in a dependency on my relationship and my whole identity was dependent on, on this other person. And so um, I think that even, you know, I kind of wrote it as an addiction memoir, but I do like to think that it's just as much about sort of a cautionary tale about about how not to do a relationship, you know, how not to lose yourself in a relationship. So I'm really glad you're enjoying it. Thanks. I really am. I wish I would have had it before I married Danny. That might have <laughs> saved me a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah. I wish someone had written one that I could have read before I met Joe, but oh well, live and learn. Um, yes. You know? So that's what storytelling is for. Um, you know, just trying to uh, uh, light the way for someone else. So, um, yeah, the book is called uh, Rock Monster, My Life with Joe Walsh. And my name is Kristen Casey. And, um, yeah, it's on shelves now, um, Amazon or wherever else books are sold. And uh, My name is Gretchen Bonaducci, and I have a book coming out August 14th called Surviving Agent Orange, and then the subtitle is And Other Things I Learned from Being Thrown Under the Partridge Family Bus. So obviously, it's a fun, funny book. Uh, <laughs> I kind of try to, um, I think it's sort of like a Bridget Jones diary, only true. You know, it's it's really not a tell-all book. Um, I, I hate that term because to me, that just sounds mean. You know, like your intentions were mean from the start. Like, I'm going to tell all these mean things about you. <laughs> so. You were, and that's the thing though. I remember that about you. Like you were always so funny. I remember thinking this woman is so beautiful to find someone who's so beautiful and so funny and to have an actual um, interesting story all wrapped up in one. Um, so I'm dying to read this book. I'd like to see you in another reality show, frankly, but if I can't do that, then I'm going to read your book because I remember how funny you were. So well, yeah, I did my best, but it was kind of hard because mostly I think people think of me as crying girl during the whole <laughs> two seasons of that show. Uh, and, that, and it's so funny because I'm really like not a crying person. I have fun and I have a sense of humor and I, 
find humor in a lot of things. I think my favorite thing I said on the TV show, uh, I was talking to one of my girlfriends and, uh, you know, I'd found out that Danny had had this affair and she happens to be someone who not famous, but uh, she, she's been on TV. And uh, I said to my friend, I'm like, yeah, you know what? Be careful whose husband you screw in Hollywood because you never know whose wife's going to have a reality show. <laughs> that is, that is a tale I was putting out there to other women in Hollywood. You girls better watch out because people are getting reality shows and, you know, it's going to come out about you and you're probably not going to be happy about it. Right, right. It's like, the, it's like the new private eye. Reality shows are the new detective. So, yeah. Uh, anything that helps. Anything that helps everybody stay on the up and up. And, you know, to me, just honesty. That's all you need. But, you know, if we need reality shows to expose some people, I'm all for it. Yeah. Listen, there are, there are no more secrets. I mean, and it's only going to, it's only going to continue. So as far yeah. as I'm concerned, yeah. Reality I don't mind though. I, I, I feel like if you're doing something wrong, that's when you mind. You know, if they're listening to my conversations, if they're watching me, fine, have fun. I hope yeah. I don't look fat. That's all I have, you know, in my future. <laughs> me on my phone or whatever. Right, just get my good side. I don't care what you know about me. Just get my good side. Yeah, well, as I get older, I'm realizing uh, there isn't really that much of a good side anywhere anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that, seriously, but... Uh, yeah, because yeah, you can I say think. that with your bacon stripper body that you have. I was looking at your pictures going, oh my God, is this Photoshop? This is the most amazing body I've ever seen. Oh, <laughs> uh, thanks. Yeah, well, um, you know, I'm 50 and I like to think I don't quite look it, but at the same time when you're 50, you just start to love yourself, right? Like, it, you know, I don't care that my... Um, uh, my ass is less than perfect or I got crow's feet. I like, I love who I am now. And you that's know what I love who I am. Thanks to my plastic surgeon who constantly <laughs> is pulling me back up and back together again. Okay. I'm going to email and get you his name uh, and number. Okay. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I would love that. Well, it has been so much fun talking to you, Casey. Good luck on the book. I, I am so enjoying it. So anyone out there who wants to hear about the rock star life, trying to keep relationships together under the craziest circumstances. You would really enjoy Casey's book. Go get it. Get it. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to pre-order yours and good luck with your um, release and your daughter's wedding later this year.